Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Building Faith Podcast. I'm Richard Goff, and I'm happy to be joined once again in this episode with our pastor, Shane Kohler. And uh, we're going to continue with our discussion on the providence of God and really looking more deeply uh, at that great doctrine, uh, kind of breaking it down a little more specifically and talking even more specifically about some implications and applications of this great doctrine uh, to our lives and to our uh, process as we journey through this building project together. So I'm looking forward to uh, continuing that discussion. We'll we'll keep moving forward in this series on the providence of God for the next several podcasts. And so just settle in today and uh, enjoy the time as we discuss matters regarding the building, but also this great doctrine of God's goodness in his providence. All right, Shane, here we are again for, I guess, our second in a series on the providence of God. How are you? Good. Doing really well. Good. Uh, Of course, I want to start by maybe providing a little bit of an update to everyone on just what's been going on since we last uh, got together like this on the the building project. Um, In fact, we had a a really productive meeting today with the architects and um, with David Martin, a faithful member of our church who's also overseeing our mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineering process. Um, had a really good meeting, and uh, you really start to see how much detail goes into the planning of a building. We talked a lot about uh, HVAC systems and placement on the roof and depth of the roof line and visibility of the units from certain distances away from the building and, and all that. So a lot of it, what, what, what I was struck by, at least one of the things I was struck by, as you go through that process and have those kinds of conversations, is the the level of specificity and detail that has to be considered when you're trying to make a building or build a building, design a building, and then build a building that is um, functional, very, very functional, but also retains the aesthetic intent. And so even things like the placement of really large HVAC systems on a roof and whether or not they're going to be visible from certain vantage points of the building was all part of the discussion. So the size of the HVAC units was a function of the needs for that service within the building. And then how those looked on the roof was a function of design intent and aesthetic. Very interesting kind of takeaway I had. I'm sure that that wasn't necessarily what everyone else was thinking because they were just trying to figure out uh, certain things uh, in terms of the the layout and architecture. Well, and and we have uh, sort of intentionally pursued a classical design, which kind of uh, looks back towards some some historic... uh, precedents when they didn't have HVAC systems on the roof. So, so. It's, fu- it's funny that you say that because I, I actually suggested that in the meeting. I'm like, you know what? If we really wanted to go with an old world, you know, European Reformation kind of design, then why are we even having this conversation? I mean, we don't need, we don't need air conditioning units. This is, let's go all authentic. So I don't, I don't think that would have been the anti-church so. uh, growth uh, strategy there. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, it was a really good meeting. And uh, another thing that I, you know, we've said many times over, um, and we've written about it in articles, and we've mentioned it, 
Shane's mentioned it. You've mentioned it from the pulpit. Um, it just, it just bear, but it does bear repeating how thankful we need to be that the Lord has, in His providence, brought together into our congregation so many people with tremendous experience and expertise in some very important and critical fields that are um, very graciously dedicating a lot of time and energy and and expertise to this project in ways that uh, are really serving the church well. And um, today was kind of another example of that with Dave Martin and a few of his team members uh, there at the meeting with uh, Stephen Fuller and Gene Barrington, our architects. And so it just, it, again, it just reminds me of of uh, another example of God's goodness to us, and and um, and really just an, uh, an encouragement of the faithfulness of His people to serve in these unique ways. So, a great meeting, and uh, obviously, <clears throat> I don't know if you've noticed, but um, it's raining. <laughs> it seems a like a lot. <laughs> yeah. So last last time we we recorded, it was raining. It had been raining, and then we had a little break, and now it's raining again. I've noticed that the breaks are coming on Saturdays and Sundays when uh, you know people like site contractors are generally not working. Yeah, right. So, uh, but the Lord knows, and of course, that's uh, that kind of all uh, naturally brings us back to some of the uh, areas of focus we want to talk about today. We we continue to to trust the Lord for the timing of uh, the restart of the site work, and and of course, as we said all along, and as the Site contractor team mentioned to us that you know they they can put sort of projected um, window of time out there for for the start of work to begin, but that's all always contingent upon um, the weather and sort of the unknowns of that. So um, hopefully we'll still be heading toward that March window for for restart of the work, and uh, and we'll just continue to trust the Lord for that. Well, it's uh, you know picking up on the theme that we talked about last time. You know, we've 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 grappled with like so many people grapple with these pauses and uh, delays and uh, disappointments. And uh, we started to mention in our last uh, podcast, you know, how you kind of deal with that. There's so many articles, as I said, on um, you know how to choose your windows and your lighting and your you know even your uh, general contractor and all that stuff, but. Almost no one is addressing this issue of how do you how do you deal with disappointments and how do you deal with you know your heart and your expectations and yet that sometimes is the most important thing that's sometimes the thing that threatens the project more than anything else is just uh, how the the attitudes that we talk about and and while there is a lot of discussion about faith uh, you know believing praying you can find plenty of articles on that as we mentioned last time. Uh, the faith seems to be in your own plan, in mm-hmm. your own abilities, uh, or faith that you're going to be, you know, successful or pull everything off without a hitch. And yet, uh, common experience tells us that just is not normally the course of uh, of, of action. Uh, over and over and over again, you talk to people in the industry, and they test, they say this is just part of the process. And and in a in a worldly uh, environment, in a fleshly environment, it creates uh you know a kind of um a kind of situation where there's just a lot of conflict and and uh animosity even among contractors and and between architects and uh you know and their and their clients and and all of that stuff 
know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Shane, because in the meeting, I just thought of another thing from the meeting today where, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interdependency between different trades and different contractors in those trades and even in the design process. So with electrical, you've got audiovisual, you've got uh, lighting, you've got these other elements that are tied to how you engineer your electrical sort of system and infrastructure in the building. And, uh, and David Martin being sensitive to the very thing that you're talking about um, and having a lot of experience doing a lot of projects over the years just leaned over to me at one point regarding the lighting and said, you know, we've got this time schedule that we've kind of mapped out for completing certain aspects of the engineering process. And, you know, I'm going to need this part before I can finish that part. And I just want you to know that if it, if that pushes, then, you know, my, my ability to finish my part's going to push too. So there's like a, there's like a, a heightened sensitivity to the, 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 almost the expectation. Yeah that your plan is not going to hold. And so that's just, that's just an experienced contractor. Yep. That's uh, right. Realizing I need to get out in front of this that's and right. make sure I begin to set expectations because he's probably seen it go sideways. Oh yeah. Far too often. Many times. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for us as Christians, we really ought to approach these things with a different attitude. I, I mean, I would hope all the way through this process that whoever we're working with would find us to be not people who get uptight uh, about any of these kinds of delays. Every person coming to this uh, kind of takes on their particular role, but there's so many other people, trades, factors that are involved with it that are really out of our control. It can be very frustrating when things don't go as planned. And so what do you do with that frustration? Uh, Well, you take it to the Lord, and this is where I think faith in its proper mode, we're talking about building faith, in its proper mode, it puts, it puts its confidence in the goodness or the good providence of God, as we might say. Now, I had a, a little quote here that I wanted to read for us uh, from John Calvin. He says, we must know that God's providence, as it's taught in Scripture, is opposed to fortune and fortuitous happenings. Now, it has been commonly accepted in all ages, and almost all mortals hold the same opinion today, that not all things come about, uh, excuse me, that all things come about through chance. What we ought to believe concerning the providence is, by this depraved opinion, most certainly not only beclouded, but almost buried. In other words, what he's saying is, if we embrace that worldly mentality that things are happening by chance or by luck or by fortune or whatever you want to uh, uh, lay on that, then you are not only clouding providence, you're actually killing it. You're actually burying it. Now, that's on the passive side. You know, People who are passive kind of think about life in terms of fortune and luck, but even on the active side, we could do just as much damage to the doctrine of providence if we are explaining things according to our own determination or self-will or industriousness or whatever. So both sides, active and passive, if we think unworthy thoughts about God, we are burying providence in, in such a way that we shouldn't. So I wanted to take a little time and kind of unpack providence, because it's not a foreign concept to 
uh, any Christians, but it is a concept that I think is uh, not well developed for a lot of Christians. Theologians uh, traditionally have have distinguished between three aspects of providence. There is preservation, there's cooperation, and there's government. Preservation is just simply that continuous work of God whereby he maintains all things that he created together with all the properties and powers with which he endowed them. So it's his work just holding all things together. As Colossians 1.16 says, by him all things exist. Or he says in Psalm 104, uh, as it's written, you hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. In other words, if God, if God wasn't literally pumping the breath into our chest, we would die. That's the preservation that it's talking about. God is actively involved over his creation so that all things are being held together. Now, as far as that goes, I think everyone agrees. I mean, you can go to almost any church, I suppose, and, um, d- d- and mention the word providence, and they would kind of understand that basic idea, unless they're just rank deist. Uh, they all kind of understand that God has this uh, preserving aspect over creation. The part where there begins to uh, be some, uh, some, some uh, I guess you might say, feedback or, or static is in the area of cooperation. Uh, cooperation is not this idea that we enter into our activity as 50-50 partners with God, we're cooperating with God, although the term might give that impression that you know, God uh, preserves our existence and our abilities, but then he stops working at a certain point and leaves all of the rest of the activity to us. That's the way some people think about providence. But according to the Scripture, by cooperation, what we mean is that God so acts in and through all of his creatures according to his law that their being, which he has himself created and maintains, that he both causes them to act and to act precisely in the way that they do. Now, that is. Um, uh, that that rubs against a lot of people. Oh my goodness, does it ever? Yeah, because you're talking about now all of our actions, good and bad. Yeah, and 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 that just let's state it plainly: we're talking about good and sinful. So, uh, you know, I was thinking of uh, a couple of verses here that I think help us to see this. First of all, in Scripture, we can talk about it from a scriptural standpoint, but. But, you know, if we lay out the, 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 the data, if you will, then we can step back and begin to think about the implications. But you have places like Proverbs 21, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. It's a very profound statement about the providence of God in turning not just our actions even, but he's talking about the very heart and thoughts of the king. Isaiah chapter 10 
has a section talking about this. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's helpful to hear it. It's talking about how the Lord had raised up Assyria as a, um, as a power in, in the ancient world to do his bidding in punishing Israel. And he says in Isaiah 10, 12, when the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, that is, in other words, after he's done everything he wants to do with Assyria in punishing Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look of his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of the people. I plunder their treasures like a bull. I bring down their sitting thrones. And then God asked him this, shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against the one who wields it? As if the rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if the staff should lift him who is not the wood. I mean, the, the imagery there takes this level of, of God's involvement, God's superintending of these things. I mean, the imagery takes it to the most specific degree. So in case you're not understanding what I'm saying here, let me, let me illustrate it with these kinds of very specific images that are so common and yet so clear in terms of how it's describing this providential work of God. It's remarkable because when you step back and think about who he's talking about and what he's talking about and what they did, they were a brutal, uh, you know, godless, uh, genocidal nation. And yet God's saying that they were the tool in his hand. And yet all along the way, when it's all said and done, they most obviously as a pagan country, pagan nation, pagan king, they weren't going to give glory to God for how he lifted them up. They were going to boast about their own ingenuity. Well, that's on the negative side. I mean, that's, you, you, you might almost expect that, although it's somewhat shocking to think that God would actually be the one who says, you're the axe, but I was doing the swinging. That, that might shock us, our sensibilities. But even on the positive side, God speaks to Israel about whenever he leads them into the promised land, and he tells them um, whenever, he, whenever they get there into the promised land, and he is blessing them, and he has led them, he says in Deuteronomy 8.17, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and, my, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. So here he's telling Israel, who should know better, when you get into the promised land, you're going to be tempted to do certain things, or I'm sorry, you're going to be tempted when you accomplish certain things to actually say, it, it, you know, it was actually my hand that did that. It was actually my uh, ingenuity. It was actually my brains. 
So, so this is what we're talking about when we're talking about cooperation. Is it's not as if God holds the world together and all the atoms and all that stuff, you know, so that it doesn't just sort of fall apart. But he's actually saying, I'm engaged steering the heart of a king uh, one way or the other so that when he accomplishes whatever he accomplishes, he's just the axe. And I'm the, I'm the axe man swinging. He's telling Israel, when you get in there and you, you're working at whatever you're working at, and you accomplish whatever you accomplish, don't begin to think that that was my ingenuity. That, uh, that was actually the Lord who did all of those things. And so this is what we're talking about when we're talking about cooperation. See, without thinking about it, uh, you know, we kind of take on that traditional uh, notion without, we, would, we may not ever say these words, but we take on that traditional notion that says, well, God helps those who helps themselves, right? And, and so when we see that's, people— That's not in the Bible? Oh, yeah. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, always, uh, I always say with things like that, it's got to be like in Jude, which is that really short book right before Revelation that people often just skip over. Uh, if it's there, it's because you wrote it in the, uh, in the margins, <laughs> which would have been uh, an ill-advised thing to do because it's an unbiblical thought. But that is, the, that is sort of the default mentality that we have. And so when we see, on one hand, calamity or disappointment, or on the other hand, when we see success or whatever, we immediately want to either praise the individual or, or uh, you know, uh, condemn the individual who isn't helping themselves instead of realizing this aspect of God's creation. Now, as I said, I mean, the, the, the people who, who uh, try to maintain at all cost the claim of human freedom struggle with this. And they would say, well, this, just, this makes God the author of sin, right? Because you're talking about God uh, superintending uh, or cooperating or, or however you want to, uh, whatever kind of term, uh, concurring. Some people use the word concurrence. You're talking about God concurring with people who are doing uh, sinful activities. But the Scripture undeniably teaches this. Even in Acts 2.23, the apostle Peter, preaching to the Jews, tells the Jews, this man, Jesus Christ, whom you delivered up by the predetermined foreknowledge of God, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, uh, you nailed to a cross. So, so their very wicked, evil action, even of crucifying the Lord, was actually predetermined by God and was all working according to his plan. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about cooperation. And yet the language that Peter uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does not relinquish culpability. Yes. You nailed him to the cross. That's exactly so right. So that tension is right there even in that, that narrative passage. So in God's, in God's profound mind, uh, he is... Um, he is superintending all of these things, concurring, if you will, with all these things in such a way that he could steer even the heart of a king or he can steer the hearts of people who are crucifying the Lord. And yet the culpability, the culpability remains with them. Because without getting too deep into this subject, 
at the end of the day, they actually did exactly what they wanted to do. He, 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 didn't, he didn't push them against their will. They wanted to crucify uh, Christ. Right. Uh, and yet God's uh, providential will was behind it. So, 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 so theologians have seen this in Scripture, all over Scripture, over and over again, and, and just step back and recognize it for what it is. This is, the, this is the cooperative aspect of God's providence. And this is where uh, I think it begins to break down in people's minds. They, 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 they hear the concept, but they just don't think about it this way. Yeah, there's that. And you, you, we, may, we may develop this in another podcast or whatever. So I certainly don't want to open up something that we would want to talk about at a later time. But I think about that side of, of sort of the authorship of evil. As as one sort of um, perspective, and then from you know a slightly different but not altogether different perspective is theodicy or the problem of evil. How could there be a God who is both loving and all powerful, and yet allows such atrocities to persist in a fallen world? So to me, yeah. the, I mean, those are. Those are not unrelated perspectives. They're they're definitely related. I think it would be a great uh, thing to kind of maybe circle back around in, sure. in a, a few weeks or months and come back and and do a couple of just on that particular mm-hmm. topic. You know, as it stands, you know, we're we're taking this doctrine now and just trying to work it out practically in our life as a church. Yeah, and here we have some disappointments with a building <laughs> that that we have a campaign called Building Faith. And and what does all this mean then for for where we are? You know, as the rain is falling outside, right. you know, how do we think about just the simple uh, simple circumstances of life like that? You uh you referenced this with me last week. I thought it would be good to uh, read this a Calvin quote uh, that you had uh, um, seen somewhere in some reading, but I think it's really good. Uh, Calvin said, "If you pay attention." You will easily perceive that ignorance of providence is the ultimate of all miseries, and the highest blessedness lies in the knowledge of it. That's such a great quote. Yeah, because he's saying that your misery or your blessedness, or just say it this way, sometimes your emotional state is going to be a direct reflection of your view of providence. So if you get all dejected and upset uh, either at yourself or about your circumstances of life or even sometimes other people, and you start hurling sort of uh, you know, accusations and frustrations at them, it's really a reflection of a very low view of God and a low view of God's providence. I mean, I think about, I think about you know, our counseling ministry and, and what oftentimes I know, I know I've, I've faced this, but I know that it's, it's routine. Um, with Joel and others who are faithfully counseling people in that ministry, um, it, it, some of the difficulties that people are experiencing um, are directly related to life circumstances that are no doubt very difficult, very challenging, even excruciatingly difficult from an emotional mental mm. spiritual standpoint so don't i don't mean to minimize the the sort of the nature of the issues that people are walking through and the difficulty of them um but there is a real sort of plain sort of sense about it 
that that you could ascribe to this very sort of doctrine in our understanding of it that plans or expectations that we had set aren't working out. Mm. And maybe they're not it's not that they're just not working out, it's that things have gone horribly wrong. Mm. And and the response to that um is is what's kind of in view in terms of trying to sort it out and work it through and and see what the Lord has to say about so, guiding so, us through that. So as you talk about, you know, difficult circumstances and and um trials and all that, is there a particular Old Testament character that you can think of who would sort of be the prototype of this kind of disappointment? Yeah, I'd go to Joseph. Joseph, that's exactly right. Yeah. Because Joseph, uh, you know, was the favored son and and had seen sort of the wor- world by a tail, and you know had a, the, the the coat of many colors from his dad, and he was probably you know going to have a, a life of ease. And then what happens? I mean, his his brothers kind of grab him one day, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, and and you know he's left into uh, a life of imprisonment and and everything. Probably not. Was, probably not his on his plan for that's that day. Right. That's yeah. right. But how does he work it out in the end? I mean, when he one day, you know, seemingly decades later, comes face to face with his brothers, you would have expected uh, that all of that misery and, fr- and, and frustration would be vented against the individuals for whom he could hold responsible. But what does he do? What does he say to them when he meets them? What you meant for evil? That's right. God Genesis fifty good. twenty. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. He actually says earlier on in verse forty five, when they first come together, he says, Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. Hmm. So so that that kind of puts a little more definition to God meant it for good. He actually is backing up and saying, wait, there's a much bigger plan here that went way beyond my plan. I had a plan for my life, but God had a much bigger plan that I wasn't aware of, and God has worked it out through these awful circumstances. But now I see that all of the twists and turns and dips and valleys in my life were actually God using me to, ta- to accomplish something way bigger than what I ever imagined for maybe myself. Which kind of takes you to the third aspect of providence, which you know you have preservation, you have cooperation, but you know when theologians talk thirdly about government, what they're really talking about is uh, what they sometimes call a teleological or an ultimate end. God is working all of these things together for our good, or as he says in Ephesians one eleven, God works all things after the counsel of His own will. So that's what you ultimately have to kind of grab hold of. Uh, you know, we're just, lo- we're just applying this to one relatively narrow application in our life as a church. Uh, you know, this is our Building Faith podcast. We're talking about building a church, but more importantly, we're talking about building our faith through the process hmm. of the church. And so it ought to orient our response to the challenges. I know it certainly orients my response to the challenges. Uh, I I know from behind the scenes the enormous amount of effort that has been put into 
and uh, continues to be put into the project. I'm also intimately acquainted with all of the weaknesses and all the mistakes and all the things that, you know, if you could go back and start over, you'd do different and all that stuff. Sure. But it filters all through my mind through the providence of God. Because one thing I do know is that, you know, everyone who's been involved with the process has been, has approached the process with, uh, with extreme goodwill and wanting to do, you know, the best with whatever they had in terms of a stewardship, both from within the church and even the partners that we've had on the outside of the church. We've been blessed to have great partners on the outside of the church. Uh, you know, there's never been a, an issue of, uh, of sort of uh, malfeasance or any of that right. that has torpedoed the project, but there have been a number of disappointments and a number of delays that we didn't expect. We just kind of plug on every day, but we fully understand ourselves uh, to be operating within the providence of God. Now, that ought to change something fundamental for us. We ought to be prayerful as we go through this process, but we ought to have our prayers oriented away from just a simple request that God would give us whatever our heart desires, in this case, maybe a building or whatever, but really our our request ought to be that we would know God better through whatever process he takes us into. That, that was really, if you, if you were to ask me, what is one thing I can pray for through the building process, that's what I would want you to pray. And we obviously, we do pray for other things, and we do ask God to bless those who are involved, you know, give them wisdom and, and prudence and all those other things who are involved with the planning process. But more than anything, I, I just pray that the Lord would show us what he wants to teach us about himself. That's more, way more important to us as a church than getting an end product, a building that we might worship in one day. But we have to uh, uh, desire to have, uh, or I should say, we have a desire to have the results, uh, whatever it is that we have in our mind. And sometimes we desire not only to have those results, but we desire to have all the answers to how all those results are going to take place down the road. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that's how we pray. You know, I I have all kinds of things that I engage in every day that I don't understand how they work and how they operate, but I enjoy the benefits. I I have a computer. I don't, I couldn't fully explain to you how all the mechanics or even the software works. I just enjoy the benefits of it because at the end of the day, I know my limitations. I'm not an IT person. There are lots of Areas of technology, there are areas of nutrition, there are areas of medical care, there are areas of government where I don't always know all the details of how things work out. And at times, to be honest, it can be frustrating uh, when things don't go your way and your computer's not doing what you want it to do, or your government's not doing what you want it to do, or your, your body's not doing what you want it to do. But the difference with God is that because of Christ, We may not always understand the process that's working out, but we're guaranteed that it's working for our good. Mm -hmm. And that's the blessing. That's the blessing. Uh, I may not know the inner workings behind how God is working out this process for us as a church, but I know it's good. I know it's better than what my plan was. It's better than my time frame, even. And I can trust that He is superintending. Uh, all of the people who are involved with all of their genuine, heartfelt, sincere efforts. And by the way, 
with any potential ill motive or even neglect mm. <laughs> that God's working all that stuff together for our good and for my good. And he's able to do all that. And I can just trust him with all of that stuff. So focus on God's providence in many ways doesn't focus on what he doesn't give, but like Joseph, it focus on, focuses on what he does give. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's, that's really where I want our heart to be. I want our heart to be focused on that aspect. Well, it's, again, another sort of great um, sort of exploration, further exploration of this tremendous doctrine. I, you know, this article that you had sent me, it, it opens up like this, one of the most profound and wondrous doctrines taught and holy writ is the providence of God. And the more we're talking about it and the more we're looking at Scripture and sort of really teasing out the practical implications of it, I mean, the more I would just echo that, that opening statement of that article. And so thank you for, for continuing to walk us through this, and we're certainly looking forward to the, continuing the journey with our next podcast. Yeah, well, um, we're looking forward to continuing the journey with the Lord, right? Yeah. And uh, I need to add, you know, we're optimistic uh, that we're on the brink of, uh, of kind of relaunching some work, and that's going to be exciting. We're going to give thanks to the Lord for that. Um, but we're also just just prepared for whatever the Lord may send. Not that we anticipate, you know, any roadblocks ahead, but they're not going to upset our faith. Hopefully, they will just draw us closer to the Lord, and and uh, you know that will could be continue to be our message. And like I said, that's that's what we laid out from the very beginning when we talked about building faith. We want the church to be built in its relationship with God much more than we do. Uh, the church to be built with you know bricks and sticks. Yeah, amen. All right, brother. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being with us today, and uh, we'll look forward to our next time together as we continue this discussion of the providence of God. Thank you.